0: Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day and we ask that as we turn our attention completely and totally to your holy word, would you please speak to us? Father, would you please move in this place? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us that we might be motivated to live for you? To do as you gave us in your final words, to go and to make disciples. Lord, we ask that you would teach us in these moments. That you would comfort those who are hurting. All this is possible through the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word, empowered by you, Holy Spirit. So we ask that you move now and that you speak to us. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well. I do have my watch on, so please know that I am aware of what time it is, and I know that everybody gets hungry around 12 o'clock, so we will keep this to the point this morning. One of the things that I want to draw our attention to before we turn back to the Word of the Lord is the intentionality that we have in dismissing our kids for Children's Church. I know that that may seem something that just has become ingrained as a tradition, but I remember when I first came to Bethany almost six years ago, and Lee Harper and Jason Gunter were meeting with me, and we were planning services, they both said, no, 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 we really like to have all the kids in there together at least for the beginning while we're singing so that all the kids can see all this group of the church of all ages, of all sizes, of all shapes, of all colors, of all everything in between, not just their parents, but all of the church singing and worshiping together. So that even in our time of singing and worship, we're commending the faith to the next generation. The reason that our children's church is only from ages three to five is so that first graders and above can be with us here. They can listen to the word as it is preached and know they're not going to understand everything that is said but it is essential for them to hear and for them to look around and realize that young and old alike are all gathered together. Not to listen to some crazy preacher or see what silly antics he might have in store for that Sunday, but to hear the very words of God. And when they see all of us stand up together out of reverence, there is a respect for God's word that is instilled in their hearts just from our simple actions of standing together with children in the service with us. So I know it may seem innocuous and I know you may not have ever given it much thought, but this Psalm 145 verse four, commending the faith from one generation to the next is etched into the DNA of who we are as a church. And there's intentionality even in when we dismiss our kids and the ages at which we dismiss our kids for children's church. You heard, as Philip read for us, what happened in Israel. God did incredible and mighty things through Joshua. They show up and march around the outside of the walls of Jericho. And then they give a mighty shout and the walls fall down. They go city by city, tribe by tribe, and the Lord goes before them and they drive out All the other nations. And God delivers on His promise that He will give this land to them. They see miracle after miracle. Even from their entrance into the promised land. The very Jordan River dries up and they walk across. But what happens? They get tired. They get lazy. And the next generations that come after them, they didn't experience God the same way. And maybe they didn't experience God the same way because the generation before them did not tell them, did not explain to them with the conviction of someone who has experienced God's mighty power to share the faith down to the next generation. I heard a story this week on a a podcast that I listened to. And you may not be a podcast person, okay, but there's a very good Christian news source. It's called The World and Everything in It. It is not something that's going to leave you humdrum, doom and gloom. They're going to have random, funny, upbeat stories. They're going to have some stories that are just about faith. It is a great podcast to listen to. It takes about 25 minutes out of your day. You get a snippet of news, you get some encouraging words along the way. I listen to it most every day, and there was a, a report. On one of the podcasts this past week from Whitney Williams, she's a regular reporter, and she just shared personal testimony about how she and her husband begged for God to give them a healthy child. And when their child was born, he was born with some sort of genetic disorder programmed into his DNA that his skin would just schleff off, just peel away. He'd have blisters inside his mouth, on the inside of his skin. And as soon as new skin came, the top skin would just rub right off. Constant pain, constant suffering all of his life. And I'm driving down the road, and, and y'all, usually it takes a lot to get to me. okay? It get, but the way that she described, here's what happened in our life. And we were absolutely heartbroken. And the doctor said, there's nothing we can do for you or your children. Your child is just blessed that he has parents that love him. That's all the doctor could give them. They called every doctor there was to call. And finally she went to God and had one of those come to Jesus moments with Jesus and said, Lord, you tell us in your word to be persistent and I'm being persistent. She kept praying. She kept beating down his door. And she was able to share with us that just miraculously, absolutely no explanation, defying the very DNA that he was born with, that child has no problems with his skin anymore. And that story is ingrained in my heart now because she lived it and then she shared it. And you see, that's where we fail as Christians. That's where Joshua and his generation failed. They lived it. They experienced the power and the majesty of God to bring down the walls of Jericho, to make a path in the wilderness and to clear out the land before them. Armies fled that were bigger than theirs. Their army was smaller than the army that fled before them. And they didn't tell their children with conviction, this is our God. I can only imagine that they sat around the fire and said, oh yeah, you know, there was that time that the Lord, he, he dried up the Jordan and we came over. And you know, there was that time that the walls of Jericho fell down. And the generation prior was so nonchalant about God's work in their lives that the generation after said, well, eh, must not be that important. Must not be consequential because there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. And the refrain throughout the book of Judges as chaos ensues over and over again, everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And then we carried over to the new Testament. And so often when we are in the old Testament, we think, Ooh, man, a lot of strict rules, right? You hit the old Testament. oof, there's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things we got to do, a lot of commands and a lot of commandments. And you get to the new Testament. Oh, there's grace. It's It's all good. It's all good. For example, you talk about tithing. When you get to the Old Testament, there's a very strict rule that you give 10%. And then you get to the New Testament and you're like, it's grace, right? It's not about that 10% rule anymore. No, Paul actually takes it a step further. He says, give till it hurts. He says, give sacrificially. Give in a way that you have to sacrifice in order to contribute to the needs of those in your church. To advance the stake and the name of the gospel. You see, the New Testament actually just turned up the volume on that one. The same thing's true with passing the faith from one generation to the other. The same thing is true with Psalm 145. It's not only about one physical genealogical generation to the next. It's not only about a grandfather down to his son, down to his grandson, down to his great grandson. It is about making disciples multiple generations of disciples. It's about me being discipled by one of my greatest mentors in life, Davin Watkins. He's a preacher at First Baptist Pelham. He put up with me as a knucklehead in seminary. He helped me understand so much about pastoral ministry. He came alongside me. He taught me. He raised me up in the ministry. It's about my dad passing down the faith to me and Davin passing down the faith to me, and then me passing the faith on to you. Not just to my children, but generations of disciples even within the same age range. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 9. Turn with me if you have your Bible to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. As you're turning to Acts 29, verses 26 and 27. And 27, I want to remind you of where we are, just a little bit of context, okay? Paul has come to know Jesus. His name used to be Saul, and he went around actively persecuting the church, which is a nice way of saying he did everything he could to get legal justification to murder every Christian he came in contact with. The more Christians he could kill, the better. And he got legal justification to do it, a license to kill. And everyone in the Christian community was petrified of Saul of Tarsus. But then Jesus shows up and radically saves him and his name, changes from Saul to Paul. And he is in the process of becoming one of the most prominent and powerful missionaries empowered by God's Holy Spirit in all of the new Testament. And here we are in chapter nine. And when he that's Paul had come to Jerusalem, He, that's Paul, attempted to join the disciples. He wants to become a disciple. He is signing up. I met Jesus. I want you to make a disciple of me. I want to hear about the faith. He attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. And y'all, I can't blame them for a second. This is a perfect conspiracy by Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to change my name. I'm going to act like I love Jesus. Now I'm going to get into the middle of them. I'm going to get up into the leadership and then I'm going to expose them all and kill them in one big swoop. I mean, if I was one of the disciples, I'd have thought that's what was going on. He's a sleeper agent. He's double agent. He's sneaking in and this is how he's going to kill us all. But instead there was one dude name was Joseph but Joseph was such a cool guy and so encouraging they changed his name. They said, we're going to call you Barney from now on. And no, I'm not talking about a big purple dinosaur, okay? Even though he did love me and I do love him, all right? We didn't sing that song. This is Barney. He's our buddy. He's the son of encouragement. His Name's Barnabas. So verse 27, however, but in contrast to all the other disciples who were petrified, Barnabas took him brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas gave him a shot. Barnabas saw somebody that was undesirable. Barnabas saw somebody that was dangerous. Barnabas saw somebody that put his life at risk. And he said, I'm going to make sure that this man gets discipled anyway. How quick are we? To say, no, 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 God's not calling me to disciple that person. God's not calling me to share the faith with that person because that person, they're kind of off the beaten path, right? They don't fit the mold that we typically expect to fit here at Bethany. They're they're not of a certain socioeconomic status. Or or maybe they've had bouts with drugs in the past. Or maybe they've been a little promiscuous in their past. Or maybe they're still currently battling drugs and promiscuity. Maybe they have the mouth of a sailor. Maybe they don't dress really well. Maybe they are off the beaten path in whatever way you want to throw out there. Their skin's not the right color. They're from a different cultural, ethnic group, and they talk different than I do. Obviously, God's not calling me to pass on the faith to another generation like that. Yes. Yes. Yes, he is. He sent Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch. Those two were as different as night and day. And he sent Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch. Took him there in the power of the Holy Spirit. Old buddy's just running upside along the chariot. Hey man, you know what you're reading? I ain't got a clue. Nobody's here to tell me. Boom, up in the chariot. All of a sudden there's water. He baptizes him. Takes Philip somewhere else to share the gospel with somebody else. Paul is dangerous. Paul is completely dangerous. Opposite to what the disciples are doing. Barnabas gives him a shot. Barnabas disciples Paul. And then Paul turns around and we lose track of the number of people that Paul disciples. Look with me in Acts chapter 16. Turn just a few pages over. Acts chapter 16. Paul also came to Derby. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. I just love how every point along the way acts. They take a just break to go, hey, by the way, the church was growing like wildfire. The church grew through all of this. Ananias and Sapphira, boom, dropped dead. And the church grew. Paul goes off on missionary trips and the church grew like they keep telling us the church is growing and people are being added to the faith. And you want to know why? Because of stuff like this, because Paul sees Timothy and says, I'm going to take this young man. I'm going to train him up to be a leader in the church. I see potential in this young man. Do you know how I know that Paul spent extensive time with Timothy because Timothy was willing to be circumcised. Okay. And y'all, If you're a man in this room and somebody comes along and says, hey, I want to disciple you. I think you'll make a great preacher. By the way, are you circumcised? Don't worry. We'll get that taken care of. There's going to be a timeout in that conversation. All right. Every man in this room understands clearly that if you say that's the prerequisite, isn't there like another year of school that I could go to or something, man? Like, isn't there something else that I could do? Paul disciples Timothy, spends time with him. Timothy understands the gospel and is willing to do whatever it takes, including something like that, in order to be presentable so that the gospel might go even further. So that people who normally would not listen to him will hear him out. And he will have influence in places that he wouldn't. So that he can take what Paul is teaching him, turn around, and teach it to others. We'll come back to Timothy, but I just want us to look for a brief moment at the rest of some of the people that Paul disciples and grows up in the faith. Look at verse 6, okay? In Acts chapter 16, jump with me to verse 6, okay? They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, all right? Then Mysia. They attempted in verse 7, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, all right? So all these places that they're going, you notice the pronoun is the third person, but it's them, it's they, those people over there. But there's a huge shift, and it's the first time that this shift takes place in the book of Acts. And so notice in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Luke, who is the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Enters the story at this point in Acts chapter 16, not only was Paul calling Timothy to come alongside and be discipled and grow up in the Lord, but Luke obviously joins Paul's crew here in chapter 16. We get this same language, these same pronouns of we and us in chapters 16, 20, 21, 27, 28. So at various points in Paul's journey, Luke is gone from Paul and back with Paul as he's being discipled. Paul disciples Titus, Epaphroditus, Priscilla and Aquila. He uh, disciples Philemon and Onesimus and Silas. The list goes on and on and on. That's not his physical children. He adopted children in the ministry in order to pass the faith down to the next generation, but it wasn't about passing it to his biological children. Look at what he says in Titus. This is the last passage that we will look at. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Listen to how he begins this letter to Titus, who he has discipled. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of our God and Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith. He calls Titus his child, not just Timothy, Titus. Paul had children in the faith. The man that I told you about earlier, Davin Watkins, that is a man in my life who is like a father in the faith to me. And I just I wonder, God has called us in the New Testament not only to pass down our faith from one biological generation to the next, but he has called us to have Fathers in the ministry and sons in the ministry. He's called us to have mothers in the ministry and daughters in the ministry. And I wonder if if you were pressed hard right now and had to answer, can you name somebody that has discipled you? That has been a father in the ministry to you. That has been a mother in the ministry to you. Can you think of someone that you've taken on? as a son or a daughter in the ministry? Is there someone that you are intentionally discipling and passing the faith on to them, whether they are biologically related to you or not? I want you to know that both happened in Timothy's life. In Timothy, Paul says that he's reminded of Timothy's sincere faith in 2 Timothy chapter 1, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, And now I'm sure that it dwells in you as well. He heard it from his grandmama. He heard it from his mama. He heard it from Paul. That's how Christian community is supposed to work. You're supposed to hear about the faith from your grandparents and from your parents. You're supposed to pass it on to your children. At the same time, we're supposed to come alongside each other in the church and disciple one another and grow up in the faith together. And pass the faith on to someone else. And that someone else might not have the same skin color as you. They might not smell good. They might cuss a lot. They might lie a lot. They might be mixed up in drugs and promiscuity. They might be going through a real tough time in their marriage. They might not be really good at managing their finances. There might be a mess of issues in their life. And they need you to be Jesus for them. They need you to be Barnabas for them to be willing to step out there and say, I will give you a shot and I will share the gospel with you. Everybody else has turned away. Everybody else is afraid of you, but I'm here with you. I'm here for you. Barnabas was there for Paul. Paul was there for Titus. He was there for Timothy. He was there for Luke. He was there for Epaphroditus. Lois was there for Timothy. Eunice was there for Timothy. It's supposed to be both. And it's not just a family thing. It is a faith thing. So this morning, how are we doing? How are you doing personally at passing your faith on to your kids? Do you have regular times where you read God's Word with your children or your grandchildren or your nieces or your nephews? It's really not hard, it's not magical either. Sometimes you're chasing them around the house and you want to beat them to death. You will sit down and listen to the Bible. It's not always pretty, okay? Sometimes they're listening to the Bible, like this right here. Hey, Dad, what's going on? Where are we looking? How are we doing? Woo! Did you Look what I did, Dad. Are you still sitting down with them reading the Bible? They'll get it. It's like Novocaine. Just keep pushing. Eventually it'll go in there. Are you doing that intentionally with your kids, no matter how old they are? If they have kids, and you're a grandparent, Are you calling your kids up and saying, hey, get the grandkids together. Look, we got FaceTime. Let's all read this passage together. There are so many kid-friendly Bibles out there. Get one. I don't care which. Just get one. Read with them. Show them Jesus. Pass it down biologically. At the same time, are you passing it down through the faith? Through the church family? Is there some young man or woman that you're discipling in this church or in our community? Is there someone discipling you? If your answer to either of those questions is no, we need to take action steps tomorrow, this afternoon, to remedy this. God has taught you great things about Himself. You have something to offer. Have confidence and approach somebody. Don't be weird and awkward. Um, Hello? I would uh, like to disciple you. Uh, My preacher said something about it on Sunday, so I was hoping that you'd be my mentee and I could mentor you. (laughs) Doesn't that sound great? That's probably not going to go well. But you call somebody and ask them to lunch, that usually goes a little smoother. Hey, I was just like, I don't know, I was just really feeling led to read through the book of Philippians. I was wondering if you and I could maybe like read it at about the same time and we'll just schedule some time to chat about how the Lord speaks to us through His Word. And before you know it, you're discipling one another. Woo! Mind-blowing, right? It's simple. It's messy. We've got to do it. The New Testament doesn't cut a slack and say, Ah, don't worry about that. There's grace. You don't have to do that. The New Testament says, No, no, no. Not only do you pass it down through biological generations, you take on random people to disciple and pour your heart and your life and the gospel into them. Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? Who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? This morning, if all this sounds crazy to you and you're like, I don't want anybody to disciple me, then maybe you've never met Jesus. And we've got to fix that this morning. That adult choir, that kid choir. These students, they've met Jesus and it's changed their life. You see, all of us have sinned and gone astray. Every one of us have rebelled against God. But He has a solution. He sent His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you trust in Jesus? I guarantee you there's somebody in this church would be more than happy to be your best friend and disciple you and help you know more about Jesus. But you've got to take the first step and answer his call and say, I want to follow Jesus. And then ask him to bring somebody along to disciple you. Church, who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. Thank you that for thousands of years, There has been an unbroken chain of discipleship. Jesus, you took 12 close followers. You had three intimate, close relationships. You poured into these men. Because you passed down the faith to them and they passed it down for generations, we're still talking about you today. Father, don't allow us and our generation. To be the break in the chain. Help us, Father, to be strong and bold. To be like Barnabas and take on even the outcast and the unwanted. And to love them and disciple them. Help us, Lord, to forcibly have intentional time where we talk with our kids and our grandkids about you. Who cares if Alabama or Auburn or Florida or Georgia or Tennessee won or lost yesterday? Let's take just a little bit of time, Father, and help us to talk about you, not just the current events. Help us to speak with passion about how you have worked in our lives so that it's not stale in our hearts and it won't be stale as we pass it on. Lord, we love you and we need you. We ask for you to move us and inspire us. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.